Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We hope you had a wonderful midweek Valentine's Day yesterday, and that you're enjoying this nice, quiet period in the academic and college admission cycle. As always, we've got a terrific show lined up for you, filled with college coach experts, the absolute top of their games. We'll be joined later in the show by finance expert Cindy Quinn to discuss tax breaks for those of you with college and educational expenses. Nobody likes to talk taxes, I know, but everyone loves to hear about tax breaks, and we'll bring some good news your way. We'll also spend some time today talking about seniors, senioritis, and the transition to college, and that's all coming later in today's show. But before we get to that, we'd like to continue our summer program series. These past two weekends, my son and daughter have hand-painted valentines for their preschool classmates, and we're going to channel our own artistic and creative energy to talk about summer arts programs. Joining me for that discussion is Kira Tyler, who I'm comfortable saying is my most musically talented colleague in addition to having a whole host of additional skills. Welcome to the show, Kira. Thanks, Ian. What a nice introduction. <laughs> well, you rock, uh, and the people should know it, I think. Um, so we, we have spent a number of weeks talking about summer programs. Um, we spoke with Zaragoza about summer research, and Sai came on about internships, and we've talked about writing and sports and volunteer opportunities, and I, I put in a little plug to everyone to check out our archives if you want to go back and listen to some of those episodes. But given that there are so many different ways students can approach the summer, I want to start with a broad question for you, Kira, which is, is there something conceptually that art students should be thinking about as they plan their summers that might be a little bit different from other uh, students who are focused on more traditional academic disciplines? Sure. So, I mean, the main difference with um, students that are interested in pursuing something within the visual and performing arts is that over the summer, they really have to continue to practice their craft. So there is no, for better or for worse, there really isn't any time off for someone who, particularly if someone, you know, is considering a major in in that discipline, um, that, you know, you practice. Uh, all the time. (laughs) You dance all the time. You're thinking about a script and your monologue and your song and painting all the time. So I really think um, that's the main difference is that even for athletes, you know, um, time off is really important um, to give their bodies a rest. And it's not to say that that still doesn't bear itself out, but um, there are ways to give your physical body a rest. Like if you're a singer, obviously you can't practice quite as much as someone who's, you know, a French horn or a cellist or something. Um, but you still need to be engaged within that discipline, even in your time off from actually performing and playing. That's, yeah, I, I agree totally. I, I wonder what your opinion is on whether um, – for a student, there can be an indication if you feel like you need a huge amount of time off that this is maybe not something that you would want to yeah. spend your life devoted to or spend your college career focused on. I mean, is is there something about just your feeling about your pursuit that should propel you through the summer and back into the academic year? 
Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, if you are really passionate about your art, but you do feel like you need a break, then that may be, you know, really useful to keep in mind as you consider it as a, you know, further pursuit in college or, you know, thereafter. Maybe it's something that's better suited as a hobby than to carry forward into college as a true academic pursuit that it will become. You know, a lot of these things start out as activities for students and as extracurricular Mm -hmm. opportunities. And then they, once you get into college, you know, if you are a theater major, theater is your major. Um, You know, it's not just an extra that you sit in when you have time. And so if you feel like you're someone who needs a little bit of a breather from it, I would pay attention to that. Um, I'll say personally, Ian, you know, I have a flute performance degree, so I have a, a bachelor in music. Um, and so three quarters of my time spent in college was, was spent doing something musically inclined. Um, and, you know, also then fitting in, you know, two to three hours of practice per day. And, you know, that's the same, whether you play that instrument or you're a pianist or if you're a performing artist, a visual artist, I mean, you know, or a dancer, um, you know, that's going to be your main game. So you'll want to pay attention to how you feel about getting, do you need free time or not? Yeah, my my uh, brother went to a visual arts school, and he did art a lot when he was in high school. But when he got to college, I mean, it was like you wake up and you start yeah. painting, and you paint all day. Yeah. And you okay. might have some, you know, some artistic block, but like you've got to push through it, and you got to keep going. And okay. he loved it; it worked for him. But a lot of people, I think, struggle with that if it's something that's that sort of is secondary to their main main focus. So I, that's great. I think I think it's important for students to think about that and what it means to be prolific in that artistic uh, that particular artistic pursuit um, and, and how to approach it. So you know, we often we're doing it in this conversation, and I think we do it socially. We lump all these art students together in one big pile, even though there are huge differences between theater and and music and visual art and dance. Um, should these different students be approaching their summers somewhat differently? Yeah, I would say so. So um, I'll start with the visual artists. You know, they are, this is a little bit harder to kind of tangibly put your finger on exactly the path for a visual artist over the summer. Um, You probably know this from your brother. I mean, it's, you know, there are not quite as many rich um, summer programs to attend necessarily when you get to a certain level for visual artists. There just really aren't. And so I think the best thing to do is to think about where you're most creative and also what you need to work on, right? So, um, you know, if you haven't been exposed to a particular um, kind of art like you'd like and you're going to be putting together a portfolio, get yourself some instruction in that particular, um, you know, a type of art, that genre of art, so that you don't have a blind spot, or at least you're right. aware of sort of what your blind spot might be, right? So um, it could be as simple, too, as, you know, over the summer, you're, you're perhaps, you have a, a an instructor you like to work with privately, perhaps you do that, or you continue to take a class at a local art school, if that's available to the student, and then maybe you do something that stretches you a little, like you tackle graphic design or even web design to learn a different set of skills too. Um, or even you, you know, think about dabbling in architecture and learning some of the, um, it's not CAD anymore, it's Revit is really the program of note. Um, so maybe you transition your skills in that way or just broaden your skills. So I think um, that's really the deal with visual art is that um, I would say expansion and just continuing to be consistent about practicing your craft, like I said earlier. Um, but if you don't find a program that works, not a big deal. Continue it in a way that makes sense. Um, yeah. For 
you know, for, for musicians, it's a little bit easier because there's a slew of programs to do. And so, you know, if you don't want to commit to a four or six or an eight-week program, um, you know, then that's okay. But you absolutely need to continue taking your lessons. And side note, if you are considering a major in music and hadn't been taking private lessons, you should. Um, you know, private instruction talent can take you very far, but there are things that, uh, you know, you really need a professional um, to help yeah. you get to the next level. Um, and so, you know, I would say if you're in a youth orchestra or a youth band or you have a, a string quartet, um, continue to do that. Seek out opportunities to play with your local community group. Um, you know, if there's an adult option or semi-professional group, see if you can do that for the summer. See if you can be in a, a the pit orchestra for, um, you know, a show that's going up. Um, and see, like a visual artist, can you take a music theory class? That's something that can be done online or at a local community college. But, a lot of students go to college for music and don't quite know um, the basics of music theory um, or just a yeah. little bit uh, beyond the basics. So that would be great. Kira, in terms of um, musicians, from your experience, if, if I were, sure. you know, say a sophomore going into my junior year or junior going into my mm -hmm. senior year, um, how much should I practice a day just to get just to get a sense for you know, how, how much a part of my life music would be like as, as just yeah. a dry run, like for a month, I'm going to try playing my instrument as much as I would if I were in a music program. Um, sure. what does that look like? I, I'd say two to three hours easy is what you should be looking at. Um, you know, for singers, they don't sing that much. So, um, you know, probably that's going to be like a straight up hour, good, you know, hour 15 minutes, right, with some good rest. This is for, for vocalists. It's a lot about vocal health, and summer would be a good time to figure out what works for your voice so you can save it. Um, for um, instrumentalists, I would say, yeah, two to three hours is uh, consistently um, is really key. So that means bringing your instrument on vacation, if you go somewhere, um, which yeah. can be very expensive. You know, my daughter is a cellist and uh, she's little, so we're not quite there. But I'm not super excited about the day I need to buy a seat for her cello. No. <laughs> um, you know, but I traveled with my flute and my piccolo in my backpack uh, growing up. And, you know, when we were on vacation, I still carved out not two to three hours, but at least an hour a day to consistently get stuff done. So yeah. to your point, Ian, two to three hours. So get, you know, get used to it and warn your family yeah. that uh, this is coming. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be on, I'll be on my French horn for three hours a day. Yes. So be, yeah. be prepared for that. Maybe you can do it in the daytime when everybody's at work. That would be, do that would it in be the nice daytime, yes. That would be great. Um, awesome. So uh, let's, I wanted to ask another question before we sort of move into some specific programs. And, and yeah. th this question is for students who maybe they're not considering a major uh, in the visual or performing arts, uh, but they really love it. Um, is there value to doing a summer program in something like this as a non-major? And does that have appeal to admissions officers if you're applying for physics or English or history or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. This is not, these programs are not just intended for, you know, budding um, music majors or theater majors. Um, you know, it's just like anything. If you have a real passion for it and it's something that you've really grown to love, even if you're not going to do it later on, it would be a great show of interest to continue to pursue that in spite of your intended major during the summers. I think it's there's so much that can be learned 
about a student who's dedicated themselves to the visual and performing arts, that I think it's a real show of discipline and work ethic and uh, the ability of stick to itness, working to something to uh, close to perfection. So that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think it gives a little bit more depth and color. I, I always loved when yeah. we were reading an application and we saw a student submit a portfolio, but they were maybe interested in in biology. It's cool yeah. still to see that they have that. Um, that artistic side, and it's fun to think about what they can contribute to a campus community through that. Yeah, and those are, um, they're, those are lifelong pursuits. So, oh, yeah. you know, when you're 80, you can still paint. When you're 90, you can still play the piano. So, you know, we don't want people to believe that these have to take a back seat just because you're not going to pursue them, um, you know, in your second, your, your second level of education. Yeah, I think that's, that's perfect and, and terrific advice. Now, we often tell students that we want them to get something out of their summer. Sometimes it's tangible, sometimes it's intangible, it might be just experiential. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about just engaging with a level of commitment to your art that is sort of uh, gives you a sense of what that might look like when you get to college and, and the rest of your life. But is there some sort of tangible product that art students should be working towards developing, especially those students who are entering their um, the summer before their senior year? Yeah. So, you know, right off the bat, I'm thinking about a portfolio for a visual art-oriented student, you know, if they get some good work done over the summer. And quite frankly, even during the school year prior, um, you know, and, and maybe even through the first part of the fall of senior year, but summer for sure, they can be working on compiling um, pieces, um, you know, to put together for a really well-rounded portfolio. Now, that, that it means that they should probably have in mind where they might want to apply in the event that there are specific things that need to be put in that portfolio, but a portfolio is a really tangible thing and a great thing to walk away with. Um, for performing artists, um, material for an actual audition is key. So over the summer, um, you know, singers or musical theater performers should be thinking about a monologue. They should be thinking about, do I need a musical theater piece? And from what genre or genres do I also need an art song? I mean, it can be pretty vast depending on where you're applying. So um, working on beefing up and finalizing repertoire that can be used during the audition season is really critical. Same thing for dancers. They should be working with a choreographer over the summer, um, you know, to think about an original piece or just, you know, something short and needy to submit for an audition, particularly places that need a Um, Mm pre-audition, you know, or if they have the permission from the choreographer uh, to use something that they've already done. And then musicians, same thing. You know, the more you can play, the more you can put on a resume, the more comfortable you are, the better prepared you'll feel in an audition when you have to sight-read something or you're asked to play a specific orchestral excerpt. The more you're exposed to over the summer, the better off you are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would imagine that it's often the case that a teacher or instructor is a good resource to go and talk to about about this. Are there other resources where you would point students to get answers to questions about what a portfolio maybe needs to look like or what they might require for auditions? Is it just a matter of going to school websites and investigating? Yeah, it's really a matter of going to school websites and investigating, um, you know, independently. You know, this is one of those things where my students would have a spreadsheet of their college materials and then a different one that also includes what, you know, what they need for auditions or portfolios. So this is kind of a school specific thing, but, um, you know, in general, 
also thinking about a letter of recommendation from your primary instructor is often required if you're going to major in that, um, if not at least a really nice extra. That feels to me like a good use of an extra letter of recommendation. Awesome. That's good. That's that's usually a tough yeah. question to answer. So it's good to not have an example. <laughs> and then just in a final close, I think, you know, sometimes we, we talk to families and we give this sort of broad advice and go find your own answers. But are there any specific programs that you would point to that might be worth investigating if students are interested in a summer performing or visual arts program? Sure. Yeah. So I will share my bias right off the bat. My two favorite places um, have great summer options. So my first is uh, the Interlochen uh, mm-hmm. Art Center, which is, you know, obviously in the woods in Michigan. Great. Um, they take kids from juniors to like nine or ten, I want to say, up through um, senior year of high school. So um, and what's great about Interlochen is that they have every bit of art we've spoken about, plus they have creative writing and they have filmmaking. Um, and a couple of other things as well. So interlocking all the way for um, really high-quality exposure um, to kind of what it's like to be in a serious art program but still in a camp setting. Um, I can't say enough about it. Um, there's also the Cherubs program, uh, which is at Northwestern. That's its nickname. It's like the National High School Summer Music Institute, I think is what it's called. And cool. they have a really good summer um, music and theater program. So, um, and that goes nicely with Northwestern's programs because they also have really good, you know, theater and music programs too. So, um, Cherubs, I would highly recommend. Um, For dancers, um, what's probably better than almost any summer program, to be honest, are these summer intensive that various, uh, summer intensive that various dance companies have. So, like, the Joffrey here in Chicago has one, and New York City Ballet, and, you know, lots of not just ballet companies, but also modern um, and contemporary dance troops um, also have them, and those are audition-only typically, and they're about, um, you know, like two to four weeks. So summer intensives are great. Um, For jazz musicians, there's the Dave Brubeck Summer Program that's connected Mm. to the University of the Pacific, right? Um, That's a really good one. Um, A lot of my students who are interested in jazz and rock have done uh, one at Berkeley out in Boston. Mm. Um, And and then for super advanced players, um, I would say that Tanglewood is fantastic for uh, really talented uh, classical musicians. And then Meadowmount um, is uber, uber selective, and that's for string players and pianists. Um, it's highly selective, um, super focused, and these are kids that are going on to conservatory uh, programs. Perfect. Yeah, I have a, I have a French hornist who is um, looking at Tanglewood this summer, so I'm pulling for him in his audition. I'm really excited. I'm too. Good luck. It's a yeah, great definitely. opportunity. Kira, so thank much you history. for your... Uh, your wisdom and your perspective today. And and I hope you have a great uh, trip to the West coast next week. Say hello to the Bay for me. Thanks Ian. (laughs) Sounds good. Take care. All right, folks, when we come back from our break, we will be talking tax breaks. So don't go away. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Before we introduce our next guest, I'd like to take a moment for our weekly school spotlight today. Let's get a little unconventional with a trip across the pond. There is no university in the United States quite like the UK's University of Cambridge. Founded in 1209, no, that's that's not a slip of the tongue, 1209, Cambridge is a public research university comprised of 31 autonomous colleges, 29 of which are available to undergraduates. Each of the colleges differs in size, appearance, facilities, and available majors. Trinity, home to the largest undergraduate population, enrolls 716 students, whereas Hughes Hall, with 111 undergrads, is the smallest. Three of the colleges exclusively admit women. The university's 11,820 undergraduates come from 65 countries, and 11% hail from outside the European Union. One of those could be you. Regardless of which individual college students might call home, they all attend the same lectures and seminars and sit for the same exams. High-quality teaching and academic excellence are hallmarks of a Cambridge education. To help balance out the large lectures that might have several hundred undergrads registered, students are also taught in smaller seminars of 10 to 30 students and practicals for labs and hands-on work 
and supervisions with just one or two students. Sounds exciting. Students at Cambridge are responsible for their own learning and are expected to spend approximately 46 hours per week, including teaching time, to complete their studies. Good to know, admission rates and tuition fees vary considerably based on your intended major. Degrees in archaeology, economics, and history are among the least expensive for international students at $26,000 annually, that's U.S., compared to those in engineering, management, and psychology at $39,000 per year. Now, if you head to our blog, you'll find resources to review the university's three majors and estimate your annual tuition costs based on your intended area of study. So go ahead and navigate to blog.getintocollege.com. Look for this school spotlight on the University of Cambridge, and we'll help you answer those questions. All right, with our next guest, we're going to move from England to taxes, and hopefully there won't be much of a revolution uh, as we make that move. Um, tax Day this year falls on Tuesday, April 17th. Mark your calendars. Many of us are in the process of gathering W-2s and 1099s and other end-of-year statements to send off to the IRS. And with so much focus lately on the 2018 Tax and Jobs Act, we thought we'd take a few minutes to back up and look at what families who paid for college in 2017 need to know about this season's tax return. So joining us today is Cindy Quinn, Senior Director of College Finance and an American taxpayer. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad that you're here. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, everything's going to kind of go much differently next year, right? When those, when the, the new tax plan comes into play, but we can still focus a little bit on this past year. So why don't you tell us a little bit about just the federal tax breaks available for families who paid college expenses in 2017? Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of the news has been focusing on the new bill that goes into effect January of this year. Um, but we seem to forget that we're still focusing on paying taxes for last year. So while families are getting ready to prepare those tax returns, um, when we think of ways to reduce the taxes that we owe at this time of year, there's generally two ways to do so. Um, we can take a deduction, which reduces your income that's subject to tax. So if you have $10,000 worth of taxable income and you qualify for a $2,000 deduction, you'll save a percentage of that based on your tax rate. So you might end up saving around $500, give or take, depending on where that total income falls. Mm -hmm. um, the other way comes in the form of a tax credit. So here, if you owe the IRS $8,000 in taxes and you qualify for a $2,000 tax credit, it's a dollar-for-dollar dollar saving. So you only have to pay the IRS $6,000 in that case. So if you qualify for a credit, you want to take the credit. It gives you a bigger tax saving and is really a much better deal. Yeah, credit credits are awesome. But I'm hearing an important word in there as you're discussing it, which is the qualify. So if you qualify, so do these credits get attached to, to income and, and in, how does it vary? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, any of the credits and deductions that you would claim on your taxes are tied to income thresholds. Um, so for anything available in 2017, general rule of thumb, the higher your income, the less likely you'll qualify for the tax break. When we think of education tax breaks, the most generous income threshold comes with the American Opportunity Credit. With this one, incomes can be as high as 180000 for married mm. couples filing jointly and 90000 for single filers. So 
if you pay for tuition or fees um, or other course-related materials for your first-time college-dependent student, you could qualify for up to a $2,500 credit in 2017. So does it matter in these cases who actually pays the cost? Um, you know, we've got a lot of different kinds of families that listen to the show. We've got, you know, maybe one parent who's separated who pays the college bill and another parent claims the student as a dependent. How, how does that credit get allocated in that case? Um, actually, it doesn't matter who pays the bill. It matters who claims the student in order to get mm-hmm. the credit. So as long as you're not using what the IRS considers to be quote unquote free money, um, money from sources like 529 savings plans or scholarships, as long as you're using, you know, money that is already subject to tax, it doesn't matter whose money it is. So if mom pays the bill and dad claims the student, dad gets to claim the credit here. Uh, This is especially beneficial for people to know uh, who are using at-home tax software programs. Maybe they're getting some tuition assistance from grandparents or, you know, exes or or the other parents, as I I mentioned. When you're using those at-home tax software programs, um, they don't necessarily drill down to this level of detail. So as you're answering the questions going through, you're thinking, well, I didn't really pay the the college expenses. My other half did, or my mother paid for my my child's expenses. Um, It doesn't matter here. As long as you're the one claiming the student, if those expenses were paid, the IRS sees it as if the student had paid, and therefore, if you're claiming the student, you can claim the credit. So even though somebody else's money was used, you can go ahead and claim those expenses. Gotcha. And you can work that out with grandma and grandpa later on, whether you owe them the money for that credit or not. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's got nothing to do with the IRS. Um, right. So it's, it's good for families to be talking about this stuff because there's a lot of ins and outs with the, 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 um, the credits and, and the payment. And you'd probably want to plan ahead for future years. So what does it look like for 2018? Is this American Opportunity Credit still going to be available next year? Yes. As it stands right now, all of the education tax breaks that are available in 2017 will be available again in 2018. Um, The Tax and Jobs Act didn't touch these. So the American Opportunity Credit is still available, as is the Lifetime Learning Credit, which is a $2,000 credit typically useful for graduate students or adults furthering their own education. Um, And if you're paying on a student loan or a parent loan, the $2,500 student loan interest deduction also remains in place. Great. So you mentioned some tri- some things to think about just in terms of at-home tax software, um, how to sort of be aware of that specific credit. But what else should families be um, doing to prepare for tax season if they paid for college in 2017 to make sure they're getting their best tax break? Uh, now's a great time to evaluate your overall plan, your, your overall family strategy. Um, numbers matter. And if you're having a hard time finding receipts, or remembering which card paid for what, you might need a better plan going forward. Um, I don't know about you, Ian, but in about six weeks, I'm going to be scrambling to find every single receipt that I've received throughout the year for my own taxes. So if (laughs) listeners are in the same boat, 
maybe spending some time getting organized with your college students. Um, many parents might create a generic email address and share it with their kids. And this way, all electronic receipts will go here. Or maybe they start a joint account, a joint savings or checking account, and that's only used for college expenses. So nobody likes to think about taxes throughout the year, and this is really a no-brainer way to organize records, um, not only for taxes, but also to make sure that you're staying on top of the actual school charges and looking for ways to cut down on expenses for the upcoming years. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I always find that I remember this stuff as I start looking now and say, oh man, I wish I had done this. But then sometimes you forget to set up a system for next year. So if for some reason you didn't do a great job of collecting receipts last year and you're a little bit behind, you know, you don't want to just sort of give up and say, oh man, I didn't do it. This has been a nightmare. You say, okay, well, what do I need to do for next year? So that I, so I'm in, you know, things in line and can make sure that I I take care of uh, things in a more organized and orderly way. And speaking of next year, what can we expect for 2018? Are there some things that are going to be different when we look to 2018? Yeah, the Tax and Jobs Act um, really simplified the way that taxes are going to be filed going forward in the sense that there are certain restrictions on itemized deductions. Um, and a lot of the miscellaneous itemized deductions no longer exist. So families who um, would have to spend a lot of time gathering receipts and, and uh, organizing their files might not necessarily have to do that going forward because what they ended up doing was increasing the standard deduction that in- individuals can take as a means to, to offset that a little bit. So for anyone who's preparing to do their 2017 taxes, especially if you're working with an accountant, um, start getting familiar with what those changes are going to look like and, and how that's going to impact your particular family and your particular situation going forward. Um, this bill is going to be in effect pretty much through 2025, unless any other laws come into place to extend it. So over the next seven years, at least, um, there are going to be significant changes with the way filing occurs. I want to ask you sort of a, a selfish question here as we get towards the end of the segment, which is um, where 529 contributions might fit. Um, and I know that there are lots of different state policies, and we can't get into 50 different policies for every different state. But if I'm a parent of a younger student, I'm not paying for college expenses, but I am saving for college what are some things that I might want to look into as far as 529 accounts are concerned? Oh, that's a whole other segment, Ian. <laughs> um, so there's so many factors to consider when you're, when you're thinking about saving with a 529 plan. With this, new, with this Tax and Jobs Act that went into effect in, in January, the mm-hmm. way the plans changed is that they now allow parents to use the money um, for K through 12 expenses, and you can right. you can use up to ten thousand dollars of your 529 plan funds for kindergarten through 12th grade, either public, private, or parochial expenses. Um, that's new uh, in 2018, um, but that could also interfere with college 
savings because if you right. use the money for high school, you're not going to have that money to use for college. So even though it's available for, for the next seven years, um, it is something to, for families to, to consider. At the state level, though, the states have not necessarily caught up, or I should say all the states haven't caught up with the federal change. So mm-hmm. if you are looking at using your 529 plan funds early or, or before college for those K-12 through expenses, you really want to check with your program manager to see if the state's going to consider that to be a qualified withdrawal or not. Some states do. Some states haven't changed their regulations yet. So we're kind of in that transitional period right now where you really do have to check on an individual level. That's great. That's great. I, I love that warning just because if you if you do that this fall because you think that that thing has had that law has changed at the state level, it's a good idea just to check in and, and make sure that that's all going to be above board uh, with your state, even though it works on the federal level. Does that sound right? Right. So- the last thing that you want to see is is a tax bill at the end of the year that you weren't that's expecting. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's not on my, high on my list of of things <laughs> I, I want welcoming me to 2019. Um, Cindy, thank you for talking us through this complicated subject and making it feel a lot more simple. Good luck with your tax filing in a couple of months. Same to you. Thanks, Ian. All right, folks, that's two down and we got one to go. When we come back, we'll be returning to a student group that a lot of people tend to forget at this time of year, seniors. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you ever given any thought to what is behind your insurance coverage? Many of us don't think of it as more than that premium you pay on a regular basis. Of course, until you actually need to use it. On CYA with Rhonda, you'll learn to cover your assets and find out what all of that insurance mumbo jumbo really means. If you're looking for a lucrative career option, Rhonda Lukey will explain how to get into the insurance business. Listen live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, 
spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. With our final segment today... We're going to open up our office hours uh, for a more casual conversation, and uh, we're going to welcome my colleague and friend, uh, who is actually a Portlander at heart, at least she tells me, uh, Kara Courtois. <laughs> hey, Kara, how's it going? Great, Ian. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I don't know that our listeners know this because they don't they don't see how the sausage is made, but we often have these office hour segments, and there are these unplanned spaces for us to talk about whatever might be uh, topical at a given moment in time, and. When I asked you for some thoughts about today's show, you sort of said, hey, why don't we talk about seniors? Uh, you know, they've sort of finished their applications. It feels like they hit a finish line. Uh, they did all that work at the end of December and into January to get those applications submitted. And now there's this like huge ebb uh, to what's going on with them. Why, why did you want to talk about uh, seniors on the show today? And what, what were you sort of thinking around that topic? Yeah, um, I completely flashed back to my days of teaching high school because uh-huh. I used to teach seniors, um, and it was this time of year that I would walk into the classroom, and, you know, I, I just, I love teaching second semester seniors because they're, you're really getting them ready for college, you know, and the conversations were just so much more laid back and less yeah. grade focused at that point, and by, I don't know, my fifth year of teaching, I started kind of acting out what a second semester senior would be, where I would come in, put my backpack on the floor, not unzip <laughs> it, you know, right. and go about, you know, just kind of lazing around. And, and I'd ask the students, I'm like, how many of them, you know, how many of you do this now, but never used to be like this? You know, and they would all raise their hand and say, you know, I just, I can't get motivated, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I shared that because I remember being like that, being, you know, super duper motivated, and then all of a sudden hitting this wall in February of my senior year, right after mid-years, and yeah. never thought it would happen, but it did, so, so I was thinking a lot about them, and those, you know, that moment, and like what advice to give to parents and seniors, you know, at well, this time. What do you think contributes to that? I mean, is that just sort of like a collective reaction where you have sort of everybody else is doing it and so you feed off of that energy? Or is it something that has to do with just the the buildup of school and application and admission process sort of hitting that finish point, um, the definitive deadline on sort of January 1st? And that's just a natural human reaction to, to 
pull back from things a little bit. I mean, is it what do you, what's kind of what I would that? lean towards is the yeah. latter of what you just said, um, as well as that I would also say that students have really, you know, even the most vigilant student, I think, has finally settled into being, you know, the oldest in the school, sort of top That's dog, nice. you know, that they could be, you know, kind of the brainiac of the class. And yet they might be more social than they've ever been or have more opportunity to be social. Um, mm-hmm. And I really encourage students to relish that, you know, and just enjoy that, um, that they can maybe take their foot off the pedal a little bit. Um yes. And I guess and my can, experience with seniors, too, I often tell them, I'm like, you know what? You've already done this. Like, you, your muscles are ready. Like, they can, they can do all the work and get it done, but maybe you don't have to work six hours on the homework as much. Maybe you can get it done a little bit more efficiently than you used to. Right. I mean, a lot of it is just tips and tricks that you've sort of figured out to become innate over time, that you know how to manage yeah. your workload. Um, but also there, I mean, there is also that conscious taking of the foot off the gas that sometimes can concern parents a little bit. You know, I got an email yeah. from a parent um, of one of my students who got an ED, but his first semester grades definitely slipped more than usual for him um, in mm-hmm. in the fall. And and. You know, I think mom and dad are sort of less concerned that the grades are going to affect an admissions decision and he's going to have it rescinded, but more that it's like, wait a second, where's our kid that, you know, that spent, you know, these first six semesters just being totally on top of things is now doesn't seem as motivated. Um, What do you, what advice do you sort of give to parents who feel like they're dealing with a new person all of a sudden? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I do, just to reiterate that, I think there is a lot of merit in finishing up on a good note. You know, you've worked this hard thus far. You don't, you know, you want to finish up on a good note. Um, So I think it's like a lot of things, it's finding that balance, you know, and, you know, where are there ways maybe that they can even experiment with being a little more efficient might be part of it, you know, that they don't necessarily have to take as much time to do things, like you said, they they can do it um, and just be mindful of it. But it might also be, you know, in just encouraging them, um, you know, to, to kind of break things down into their parts of, you know, how can I maintain with, with still being able to have some fun and maybe find a little bit, yeah. bit of balance. And that might even help with the transition to college in that, you know, vein where they're going to have more independence. Yeah, they're going to be a lot more independent and there's not going to be as much of being accountable to mom and dad next fall, right? Yeah. So even now, yeah. like it's it sort of is a weird transition phase in that they're they're still living at home, they're still going to the same high school, but you know that there's this sort of huge amount of freedom that's coming uh, and and really big if you're a student who's going out of state or across the country to college. Um, how can parents kind of think about helping a student to get ready for that experience? What are some things that they might think about or a mindset that they might have to support that transition? Yeah, I mean, I I think second semester and the summer before they take off for college is just a really great time just to be mindful of giving them more independence while they're still under your roof, you know, and um, that (laughs) the number of you know, students I knew in college, and I think I had three brothers who went off to college who didn't know how to do their own laundry, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, uh, 
you know, this is the time, you know, that if for some reason, and I meet parents all the time who say, you know, they're my, I give my kids sole responsibility on getting the best grades they can get, and then I do everything else. I do their laundry, mm-hmm. I do the, you know, dishes, I do the grocery shopping. I, they don't have to have a job. I take care of that. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I think there can be some moderation there, and I would heavily encourage it um, for any family for a second semester senior year to shift to allowing and encouraging your child to take on some more responsibility because, you know, otherwise you're just dropping them off without some of those basic life skills um, having been practiced at home. So it can be just a great time to figure out, you know, the balance of what the student wants to do and can contribute um, to their own independence. Yeah. And it's, it, it can be hard, I think, to smooth that out, especially if you've done so much to take responsibility, responsibility for your students' plans and the structure of what they do outside of schoolwork. You don't want to suddenly just say, okay, now you're on your own for this, this spring. Um, but maybe a little bit of, you know, conscious stepping back from responsibilities. I, ironically got an email in my personal email account from a close friend who sent me an article about uh, helicopter parenting and lack of independence. And he says, you know, I have these cousins who grew up with every advantage, but they've struggled from college onwards to live independently and, and forge their own path as adults because every advantage was presented to them as opposed to them having yeah. to go and, and make that own, that advantage for themselves. Um, you mentioned summer, which I thought was really interesting because we just talked with Kira in the very first segment and we've been doing this summer opportunities um, series over the course of the last seven weeks or so. And there's all this planning and thinking about regimented summer plans and programs. And now summer doesn't really matter for college. I mean, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. in a tangible way. Uh, Mm -hmm. How should students think about this three months of complete and utter freedom that they have Mm -hmm. with uh, before they get they get into college? Are there things that they they should be thinking about um, in terms of how they might use that time smartly? Yeah. And this I mean, for both parents and students, if they haven't been you know, doing some of that responsibility building and just talking about the transition. Um, You know, there are entire books written about, you know, kind of letting go and being ready to help your child move on. And I think it's totally underestimated, you know, how important it is to start that at the beginning of the summer and not wait until the two days before orientation um, might be taking place in, you know, early September, late August, that, you know, conversations around like kind of, you know, shifting the focus away from patterns they always had at home to, you know, how are you going to take advantage of a freshman year and, and get involved on campus and what are some things you really want to do once once you're there and just having more conversations about that and not putting it off and having that greatest summer of their lives, senior, you know, (laughs) summer of with all my best friends and building that up. That's great. Absolutely. But I think always in the context of, you know, transitioning step by step, you know, little bites. Right. I think, you know, the mention of transition, um, it's it's really important for students because they're they're trying something new, but it's also really important for parents, especially if you've got uh, an only child, um, or if you're, it's your youngest child, of being prepared to be on your own as as parents. Yes, 
uh, for the first time in 18 years. And, you know, I, I remember talking to the very first student I, I worked with and she um, came back after her first semester and said she talked to her parents on Skype every single night while she was at college because her parents wanted to see how she was doing. And, you know, it really, you get the sense that that was more for them than it was for her. She didn't mm-hmm. feel like she needed it. They needed it. And there was a, yeah. an inability for her to forge that independence because of what her parents needed to, to feel like they were still connected. Um, what yeah. did parents start to do to pull themselves away from this and ready themselves for this big transition that's coming? I don't think it's much different than retirement, <laughs> you know, as far as don't leave your job because you're probably helping to pay or paying the whole thing for college. But, sure. you know, you might want to think, hmm, you know, what are we going to do with that time? Um, and how can I, you know, wrap my mind around maybe I maybe I start, you know, calling my child less when I, you know, today in the moment when I have a question, you know, or just want to check where they are because, you know, once they get to college, you know, we want to figure out some parameters where they're not on speed dial, you know, with the parents, you know, that they're looking more for their support within their college or university, um, you know, and trying to start establishing some just real mindfulness around it. You know, it doesn't mean it's happening today, but it's much easier rather than being expecting a light switch, like everybody's just going to adapt to not talking every hour or texting every hour as they might. Some people do, you know, with their parents and it's probably a beautiful relationship, but nonetheless, you want them present where they are at the college campus. So maybe right. practicing, you know, and being mindful about that as parents. Yeah. Practicing like, you know, he's out this evening with his friends, but it's still in high school. It's a Friday. Um, I'm going to try and find a way to be okay with that. Whereas usually I yeah. might reach out right away and say, where are you? What's, what's going on? Cause you can't do that when they're in yeah. college. You can't text them every Friday night and say, where are you? Yep. What's going on? They're going to be out late Great example. and be hanging in the dorm. Yeah. So, so get yourself ready for that. Um, okay. Kara, any final thoughts, uh, just in the last 20 to 30 seconds, uh, for, for seniors and parents to think about in this transition phase? I think as an aunt who's seen a good 15 nieces and nephews, you know, go through this process on different levels is, yeah. you know, that it is, it is something to be mindful of. And the summer is an awesome time to really, you know, spend some time and just unpack, um, and enjoy some downtime. As you said, maybe it's the only summer they have where it's not, you know, regimented that they have to do X, Y, Z that looks good on a resume and, you know, building towards college. It, it can yeah. be a little bit more enjoyment um, together, but being building up to being ready to let go. Yeah. And read a book or two. Read a book this summer. Or 10. <laughs> Have a book for fun. Kara, thanks for coming on the show and, and sharing your perspective. We look forward to having you back again soon. Thanks so much, Ian. That does it for today's show. Uh, before we close things up for the day, I want to put in a little plug to you seniors who received a deferral from an ED or EA school. This week is actually a really good time for you to write an update letter to that school, restating your interest and providing an update to your records um, if that reflects well on you. So you can go back into our archives and listen to another show about what to do after a deferral if you want some more details. But uh, I wanted to let you all know that now is a great time to do that uh, here on February 15th. On next week's show, we We will be joined by Michael Sherman of Graduate to Employment, who will help us understand the connections between college majors and professional careers. 
And we'll do another double dip into your questions on both admissions and finance topics. So please go get those into us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Until next week, fight off that senioritis and keep building towards your spring break. Keep an eye out for daffodils and other signs that spring and even summer are on the way. We'll be here for another great conversation next week. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.